0: This is Eric
1: Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. I've got a brief chat with Serena Cherry from Svarlbard to share with you. Now, the catalyst for the conversation is a new album from the group. It is their fourth. It is titled The Weight of the Mask. And throughout this conversation here, yes, of course, we talk all about the catalyst. Uh, The differences between this album and the previous one, When I Die, Will I Get Better? The collaboration with The Ranch Production House, their creative process, lyrical themes, it's all here. Including some insights from their shows of Russian Circles and Cult of Luna. And will they tour Australia? Well, she answers that question. So, I have picked a tune for your listening pleasure. Before we dive into the chat, this one's called Faking It. Of course, it's from the new album. Once it's done, we'll dive into the conversation, let's go. has been going on are you guys on tour or anything like that at the moment uh
2: yeah we're playing uh doing the summer festivals at the moment uh so we played Greenwich in open air last weekend we're off to alcatraz in belgium this weekend um and then we play arc tangent the week after that uh so yeah there's been loads of cool festival shows we got to play hellfest this summer as well and uh full force they were both really good um and then we're doing another tour in October, um, which, yeah, uh, UK and Europe dates there.
1: Hmm. How was Hellfest? I saw you did that festival.
2: Oh, it was it was the best thing ever. Like I love Hellfest so much and it almost didn't feel real to be actually be there to play. Uh, great atmosphere, so much to do. Like you could go there and do all the kind of um, – appreciate all the like uh entertainment side there without even watching bands like it's just it, it, i know ever, ever before i went everyone always called it metal disneyland and i was like <laughs> you know it can't be that good uh but it really is
1: <laughs> that's fantastic was that a bucket list thing for you
2: definitely yeah hellfest was very very high up on the bucket list so it feels amazing to be able to have done that
1: Mm. Hey, did you do a tour or just a show with Russian Circles and Cult of Luna?
2: Oh, we did a whole tour. Uh, we toured for two and a half weeks um, with Cult of Luna and Russian Circles, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, to, yeah, two of my favourite bands. So, couldn't really ask for anything more than that. Um, and it went really well.
1: Mm. Hey, Talking to the fans, what was their reaction like with the the new album? Was there a lot of anticipation amongst the people you were talking to?
2: Uh, There have been. I mean, so on that tour specifically, I think we were actually playing to, because we were obviously the opening band, um, we were playing to people who hadn't heard of us before and who were Cult of Luna fans or Russian Circles fans who had discovered us through that tour. So there was definitely a lot of like newcomers who would come to the merch and ask which album to buy as a starting point. So that's always really nice to see, to hear that you're on a tour and you're reaching new ears. Um, but there also, I think I see it more on social media, uh, sort of people... Um asking when the next album's gonna be and and getting now that it's announced getting super hyped for it which is which is incredible mm.
1: do do you feel a bit like one of those um you know those those ten year overnight sensations given you've got the buzz around this album here, the weight of the mask and uh it's it's your fourth album if I'm not mistaken
2: yeah uh I absolutely feel the opposite of a 10-year overnight sensation. Uh, I feel like we've very slowly been climbing uh, this sort of mountain uh, for 11 years. We've been a band for 11 years um, and it definitely doesn't feel like it happened overnight. It feels like things, you know, we noticed the first album reached new people. And then the second album, people that, the, after the second album was the first time we'd play shows and people would be singing the words back. And that was a real mm-hmm. kind of, Um, moment for me a special moment for me and then with the third album we noticed kind of more mainstream press talking about us and again it just reaching much further and wider than we'd had before and so with the fourth album it just feels like the next logical step I don't feel like I I woke up and suddenly I was playing Hellfest on a nuclear blast (laughs) Hmm.
1: that's a good point actually about nuclear blast is this your first album with them
2: yes yeah um so really excited to be, uh, on nuclear blast all my favorite bands assigned to that record label. Um, so it's a real dream come true to be working with them. And, uh, I think we kind of, we did put a lot of pressure on ourselves this time. Uh, when, when you're making an album for a record label that you've always admired and look up, looked up to, I think you can internalize that, that pressure a bit. Um, but I'm really happy with how it's turned out in the end.
1: So because you're with Nuclear Blast, did you do anything intentionally different on this album?
2: I don't think we sat down and wrote and consciously said, we need to write an album for a Nuclear Blast audience. Um, But... I would say there's definite themes that just happen to have occurred in the sense of the two singles that we've released from this album, faking it and, Eternal Spirits I'd probably two of the heaviest songs we've written mm. and they've got some of the most metal riffs we've written in them. Like the end of Eternal Spirits is, is quite a straightforward metal riff for us. Um, but then we've also, when you listen to the full album, we've swerved in so many other directions that we've got some of the softest tracks we've ever written. We've got tracks that have no shouting and no growl vocals on them, which is a first. Mm. So I don't think we ever sat down and deliberately, um, tried to please the nuclear blast crowd with this album. But I do feel like just from pure circumstance, because we've written something that's so heavy, hopefully their audience will appreciate it.
1: <laughs> I think, think you'll find that will definitely be the case. Don't worry about that. <laughs> You're doing a great job here. But uh, another thing I noticed was that, uh, and I could be wrong here, but um the ranch house or the ranch production house, you've worked with them ever since basically you guys have been creating albums. So what is it about, is it a great, what is it about the positive symbiosis that you feel with, with the production team? Um,
2: With Lewis, our producer at the ranch, uh, he creates a kind of space where you can really let go and you can really put every single emotion into your guitar playing or your vocal performance. It's, feels like a really kind of expressive environment I never I think it's really important that you don't feel self-conscious around a producer you feel like you know a lot of the times when I record vocals I end up crying because the lyrics mean so much to me but Lewis provides a sort of space where that feels natural and accepted it doesn't feel like uh, maybe I'm going too hard or too deep Um, he's an amazing producer and I think so much of it is about understanding what a band want you work with you can work with some producers who they really they have their own vision and they kind of want to uh impose that on every record they make because it's got their name attached to it but with Lewis it's like the other way around I'd say he's a very selfless producer and he's always thinking about serving the song and, and serving the, the album and, and creating the best tones that match the feeling of the music. Mm.
1: So how do you guys share ideas then? Is it the case where you're sharing ideas via the cloud or do you still work on songs predominantly in a re- rehearsal studio?
2: We're super old school. I mean, yeah, uh, we all get together in the room uh, in person, which is difficult because half of us live in different cities um, and riff it out together and jam things. We never, Svalbard have never emailed each other a riff idea ever. Um, We don't really do things digitally. I think I've, I mean, I've worked like that uh, on my solo project and stuff, but between Svalbard, um, that's just, we much prefer the in-person kind of vibing off of each other, that synergy that happens when you're all in a room concentrating on an idea together Um, but in terms of how it works either Liam and I will write a riff and we'll come to the room with that riff and then uh, either of us will start putting something behind it so usually it'd be the case that Liam comes in with like a rhythm riff and I'll write leads over the top of that And then Matt will start working on bass lines and Mark will add his drums and then we'll argue for about five hours. And then uh, (laughs) eventually a song will take place. And then I write all the lyrics after the entire album is done, because I tend to pick a theme that runs like a thread throughout the whole album and then extrapolate from that sort of more microcosms of lyrical themes Mm -hmm. for each song. So I don't write the lyrics until the whole music for the album is complete.
1: That's interesting. Okay. Are you inspired by the tone and the context of the music with your lyrical themes?
2: Exactly. Yeah. I never just write lyrics off the bat, um, just for the sake of lyrics. Like to Hmm. me, it has to really match the feeling of the music and where that feeling takes me and what that evokes in me, uh, for the lyrics.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. And do you, um, but do you have things in the back of your mind in regards to the lyrical themes? Like are you drawing on uh, like things that are happening in society or are there more things that that are affecting you personally, your emotional state?
2: Uh, this album. This album in particular with The Weight of the Mask is a very inward looking album. It is all about personal experience. It's, you know, the main central theme is about uh how depression and anxiety uh, affects not just you personally, but your relationships around you and you know how it can basically isolate you and build this wall inside you. And then you've got the mask side of the album, which talks about kind of pretending you're okay and feeling obliged. I guess that's the kind of more societal angle of this album is that pressure to still put the smile on. And even though we talk about mental health much more now than we did 10 years ago we don't talk about mental illness as much still and there is still certain situations and scenarios where you really feel like you just have to put on the mask um but yeah normally i mean on the previous three albums there was a lot more direct political lyrics and i've always gone for a kind of i deliberately write in a very obvious clear almost like painfully concise manner so that anyone can read the lyrics and understand what I'm talking about. I don't want to obscure anything in like poetic language, which I think metal suffers a lot from sometimes.
1: Um, yeah.
2: So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, but this album, it's, it's all about how depressed I am. It's like reading my miserable diary for the last year.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. But it's interesting, do, do you blend those really personal emotive lyrics in with the political statements? Or like totally
2: um, separate. I would say I keep them separate. However, on the weight of the mask, this is a much more personal album, anyway. So the the elements there's very few. I mean, there's it's not really a, a political album at all. But there's kind of maybe a sociological aspect um, to do with society's view on mental illness. Um, but that is kind mm-hmm. of weaved very very subtly. Throughout, I wouldn't say it was like a dominant theme in the same way that the uh, personal, glum, introspective theme <laughs> is.
1: <laughs> yeah, gotcha, yeah. What what sort of music inspired you to do what you're doing now? Was there a catalyst? Did you say here in the Nightside Eclipse at some point and go, wow, that's something that I really want to do?
2: I can pinpoint a few bands that definitely influenced my guitar playing. So when I first heard Mono and I heard those... Mm beautiful, reverb-drenched, tremolo-picked leads. Um, That definitely influenced what I I played on guitar. Um, But then also bands like Immortal, where they have that really kind of triumphant, melodic um, atmosphere to the guitar playing, I think a lot of my influences aren't aren't that obvious. So I'm really, really into soundtracks, especially game soundtracks. And Mm. a lot of the time when I'm writing melodies, I'm searching for that same bittersweet, evocative emotion that you get when you listen to the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack or the Skyrim Mm. soundtrack. Those are some of my most listened to pieces of music. And they really guide the feeling that I'm searching for when I'm creating a riff.
1: Okay, gotcha. Yeah. What's your favorite album? The the one that of all really the time. Yeah, why not? Let's go there.
2: Uh Century Child by Nightwish.
1: I wouldn't have picked that, but that's a great choice, by the way. Yeah. Any any particular reason?
2: I think it's the most depressing Nightwish album lyrically. <laughs> uh there's like a real loneliness and desperation to some of the lyrics, but then there's also this kind of beautiful um kind of almost like joyful atmosphere to the music it's such a contrast that album um but every song on it is amazing um I think Taya sounds the best she's ever sounded on that album and yeah Mm. I'm just there's a I always think when when I try and explain about Nightwish being my favourite band, the best way I can put it is that Nightwish is a feeling and it's so specific. No other music or bands have the Nightwish feeling Um, and Century Child really encapsulates that best for me, I think.
1: Yeah, have you met Taria before?
2: Yeah, I met her last year at a festival and I fangled so hard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's a lovely lady, isn't she?
2: Yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah.
1: Australia, have you uh, have you have you been here before as a tourist or visited family or friends or what have you? And um, are you planning on coming down on the back of this album?
2: I have never been to Australia, and I assume you hear this a lot because I'm really scared of the huntsman spiders, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm convinced that I'm going to step off the plane and they're all just gonna they're going to sense my fear and they're going to like make a beeline for me uh, personally. So. That's always kind of made me a bit scared, but at the moment we are looking to see what we can do because I mean, it would be crazy to not come and play shows in Australia just because I'm scared of big spiders. So, um, yeah, the band keep talking about getting me some kind of like airtight spider proof suit <laughs> and then, uh, then we can come and play some shows, but hopefully we will be playing some shows in Australia in the future.
1: Look, if you're here for a couple of days, I doubt you'll even see one. But if, when you live here, they're so common you don't even notice they're around. To be honest with you, just see one walking across the window or what have you—like, okay, there it is. But look, the other thing is they're not venomous either. So if they bite you, I've been bitten by one—they just sort of nip you. They don't, um, they don't sting or anything like that.
2: It's not the bites that worry me. It's the way they move and the fact that they can move. What is it? Forty times their body size in one second. They're Something quick. Like the yeah. speed I that know. alarms me most.
1: <laughs> they scared the living daylights out of people here too. Don't worry about it, but it's the uh, the Sydney funnel web spider is the most venomous spider in the world. I'm, I'm sure of that. And uh, the the redback, which is uh, redback in particular, is a lot more common. But it's in like. Uh, you know, corrugated iron that hasn't been moved for ages, this sort of thing. It doesn't generally hang around the household, especially these days with all of the fumigation and stuff that goes on. But, uh, yeah, the, the Sydney funnel-web spider, they're the they're the bastard ones we call, we call them. The huntsman. Okay. Yeah. What it is, the truth is, if you see a huntsman, you've actually got a very healthy ecosystem around your house because they're like a dominant insect, and it means that they're on top of the other spider populations as well the ones that really can hurt you because they're much bigger. So, yeah, yeah. there's a a couple of things that are a bit of a paradox, but that's one of them.
2: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: So I hope it makes you feel better about coming down.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just have to get over it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No worries. All right. Well, thanks very much for the chat. I really appreciate it. Good luck here with the album, The Weight of the Mask. You've done a killer job with this one here and hopefully see you soon.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for
1: your time. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. What do you think? That was Serena Cherry from the group Svalbard. Apparently, there's quite a buzz happening around the band at the moment. I'm not really feeling it all the way here in Far Flung Australia, but uh, we haven't seen them on tour yet either. So maybe it's one of those things where when they come on tour, there'll be a bit more of a local buzz. But certainly, from what I understand, it's all happening for them abroad. Now, if you enjoyed that chat, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com and if you like listening i know you like reading because you're an intelligent audience i've written a book it's for you click on the link in the banner on the website you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice you know what to do from there download a sample or otherwise one thing i will say need to add is that if you do complete the purchase please do hit me up because i want to thank you personally i welcome any and all feedback as you'll see from the reviews that are on amazon they're all legit i don't know People that have put the reviews there, it's good to see anywhere from a three to a five star review. All right, so there's some more information to share with you about the book before we get to that. I'll bid you a fond farewell. My name's Andrew McKay Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it is a very good bye for now. This is Eric rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume One, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Coal Chamber and why the band will never return.
0: You know, if you're a, a band just
1: starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners, ever. Yeah, wise words, uh, sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I
0: can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved.
1: Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying
0: power of the, I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the
1: songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silenos from Demu Ball write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-president Donald Trump. We have this... Idiotic monster, you know this egotistical, self-aggrandizing,
0: complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place.
1: And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with sepultura. cussive Overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner.
0: Chuck was always, um, you know, he was he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had.
1: Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and
0: Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot.
1: And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother all across scars and guitars volume one there are moments of tension relief tragedy exhilaration and throughout it all you'll obtain insight that i believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favorite artists so treat yourself scars and guitars volume one is currently available as an ebook, with a print edition on the horizon follow the links attached and download a sample i'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book